0: Uh, last week I got a, a, a kind of a laugh when the State Department uh, scolded the Taliban because they said they had formed a new government and it wasn't uh, diverse enough. You know, they said your government, the new government of Afghanistan isn't diverse enough. And I could sort of picture the Taliban going, what do you mean? You know, we, we, we have people who kill people with guns and some who kill people with bombs and some who kill people with knives. We're really diverse. Uh, you know, what was funny about it was it didn't seem to occur to Blinken and the State Department, or anybody else, that maybe diversity isn't a Taliban value. You know, maybe they actually, do, you know, they're they're theocratic murderers. I think you know their values are like one theocracy, two murdering. There is no three. There is no value of diversity. They don't. They don't care. I mean, it's like saying to Hitler, you know, you're kind of a racist, you know, and he'd be like, Yeah, und. You know, I'm I'm Hitler. That's, that's basically what I do. The reason I bring this up is because I feel this a little bit the same way about people on the right who are complaining that the government isn't protecting individual liberty, isn't protecting American liberty. Clearly, that's not a value for them. When you say you're not protecting liberty, they're like, yeah, and we're the Biden administration. We don't care. But it's not just the Biden administration. Because really, who cares about Joe Biden? He's tottering around. I don't know how much in charge he is, but this, this deep state that's there, the press that's there, all of these people are there. And I, you know, I always tell you that, uh, anger is the devil's cocaine. And the reason I say that is because it makes you feel righteous. And it's not, you know, you can have righteous anger, but the feeling you get of being righteous is a dodge. You know, it's a, an illusion. And it makes you feel like you're doing something when really you're kind of just telling them what they already know. All they have to do is lie, you know. And one of the reasons I I don't get mired in outrage at this moment is people are afraid of what's going to happen, what's going to happen next. It's happened already. It has happened already. We have a government that no longer cares about American liberty. We have a press that no longer cares about American liberty. We have all these companies, these these transnational Companies without any kind of patriotism whatsoever, any kind of anchoring system in America, they don't care about American liberty. And I think at this point, you know, we just have to admit this goes beyond left and right. This has nothing to do with left and right. In fact, people who care, who have the value of a Amer- of individual liberty, on the left. And the right are going to find very soon. They have a lot to talk about. And I'll explain that in a minute. But I think first we have to start. I mean, just to give you the idea of what I'm talking about, we have to start with the image that sums up our situation. I thought it was a perfect snapshot of our situation, which is the image of Alexandria, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, his backside. Uh, harass. I mean, I, I guess I can say that, you know, on the air. It's like it's and it's and it's a nice one. I, I was you know, I saw her. She went up to the Met Gala. This is the big the fancy ball It's called Fashion's Biggest Night Out. And it supports the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is a world class museum in New York City. And, you know, I, I happened to for some reason to be looking at her backside. And somebody said to me, you know, there's something written on the back of her dress. Who knew? Who knew? It said tax the rich. This is this is a thirty five thousand dollar a ticket. Uh, deal to get in tables start at 200 grand and she and she comes in like a queen right they're carrying they're carrying the um the train of her dress behind her here she here's a picture because you know i'm all about <laughs> well, you're saying politics, you got to play to your base. <laughs> and, you know, and the the thing, the reason I make this joke is there used to be, if you were a street guy, if you know, there used to be a saying, and I'm sure they don't use this anymore. It was probably, you know, what, 30, 40 years ago. There was a saying on the street that if you showed somebody your weakness, if you showed somebody what was, your, your, what was wrong with you, you said, oh, I, I showed him my ass. You know, I showed him my ass. And she did. She did. She showed us exactly what, Her weakness is, right? The weakness of everybody who wants to build the world from the top down, who think they've got to figure it out. And it's not going to be individual decisions that make us rise. As Adam Smith said, each person makes a decision trying to better his lot. And as a a corollary, they're not trying to make the world better. As a corollary, they make the world better. Just like, you know, an artist paints because he wants to become famous and rich and, uh, and win the love of women. But he also makes our lives better. And that's how capitalism works. Works. Individual people do things. It's how freedom works. Individual people try to improve their lives, and that actually accidentally makes everybody's life better. But they want the credit for it and they think they're going to do it, you know, from the top down. But once they get the power, once they get the power, they can't let go of the power. And this is a, true of human beings today. It was true of human beings yesterday. It was uh, Woodrow Wilson who came in and said, no, no, now man is perfectible. Now this, this thing where the government is fighting with each other, we can't do that anymore. That's slowing us down. It's slowing us down. We need to give the president all the power that he needs. You wonder why we name everything after George Washington, why there's a state and a city and a tower and a college, why all, all these things are named after George Washington. He was the one guy among billions, the one man among billions who gave away a kingdom to protect the freedom of the people, the one guy. And in doing that, it was so amazing, such a thunderclap of virtue that it basically set the standard for America for 200 years and then we forgot. So AOC, Alexandria casio cortez got all this criticism. She has this ethics complaints against her because she uh, accepted this gift of a ticket. And they're trying to pass a law that says you can't accept these gifts and all this. And of course she's always the victim and always the jargon comes out when she's caught doing something bad you know she says she says I thought about the criticism I'd get but honestly I and my body have been so heavily and relentlessly policed from all corners politically since the moment I won my election that it's kind of become expected and normalized to me it's when women in power take the prospect of criticism and they become cautious and then they get called inauthentic and she goes on and on and on and she says, but we all had a conversation about taxing the rich in front of the very people who lobby against it because they don't care. They don't care at all. And listen, I don't know what she's talking about, about policing her body. I've been policing. AOC. She's got a great body. She's got a terrific body. It's, that's, that's not what bothers me. It's the fact that she's an ignoramus. You know, I mean, every." every every man most men have had the experience of being charmed by a great body and then you wake up in the morning and the girl starts talking and you think oh my god what have i done i let my body betray me and now i've got this ignoramus in my house and and look at her i mean it's just the truth of this the truth of this this is cut 10 she's loving this my god tax the rich what a model aoc well, no, i didn't know you model as well wow. damn She's just having the greatest time. She's a socialist. We want everybody to be equal. You know, here's the here's another one. Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney. We just have a picture of her. She's got equal rights for women. And behind her, amazingly, because none of the celebrities are wearing a mask, but all of the help is where are wearing masks. And behind her is this line of women. It looks like the Taliban has lined them up against the wall, wearing these burqa, these secular burkas, wearing these masks. They're all dressed in black. And she's out there grinning with her equal rights for women thing. It is amazing. It's amazing. That is socialism in a nutshell. But I call it socialism, but but that's not even right. Socialism is the new fascism. Socialism is the new capitalism because the philosophy doesn't matter if you don't put liberty first. The philosophy doesn't matter if you don't put liberty first because all of these things end up being about power. The philosophy, you want to talk about masks? The philosophy is the mask. You know, this is the danger we face. The danger we face right now and the trouble we're in is not socialism. It's not leftism. It's not left and right. It's that it's what I always call a conspiracy of interests. It's not a real, you know, we don't, it's not people in a room together conspiring. It's all these different people who have the same interests. Big tech, uh, billionaire, great reset guys, often daffos who are going to reinvent the world, uh, failed elected officials who haven't done anything in years. They haven't taken any uh, action in years. All they do is they they played your outrage. They sell you that outrage. When I say it's the devil's cocaine, these guys sell you that outrage. Republicans do. Republicans are like, I'm outraged. I'm going to do absolutely nothing about this right away. I am I am so angry that I will absolutely take no action right this minute. You know. Uh, you have, like I said before, these multinational corporations that don't care. You have China, uh, the CCP, because this—you this, know what CCP stands for? It sounds it stands for corrupt clowns in power. All of these guys, China, you know the big the big tech companies. These people in Davos, corrupt clowns in power, they all want the same thing. They want to spy on you and they want to control you. They want to take your privacy and then they want to take your liberty. You know, remember that quote from C.S. Lewis, famous quote from C.S. Lewis, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. That's the thing. These are not, you know, these are not like evildoers kind of saying, oh, we're going to oppress everybody. Ha ha ha. It's that they think that they can control the world and liberty is not a value. The liberty doesn't come first. And they don't start out as, as tyrants. What happens is what happens is they think, ah, you know, just like Woodrow Wilson, they think, oh, wow, this life is now too complicated for the little man to make decisions. I have got the big picture. I've got the experts like Obama used to say, if I could just lock myself in a room with experts and get rid of that rotten democracy, I would solve all the problems. And then they get the power. They do it. It never works because what works is freedom. Freedom is not just the right thing. It's not just a good thing. It's not just the moral thing. It's the thing that works. And, you know, on backstage the other day, Matt Walsh was saying this, and I've said it too, that foolishly, conservatives always make the practical argument and the left makes the moral argument. We should start with liberty. Liberty is the moral thing. Each person deserves to be free. So now when they screw everything up, when everything goes wrong, they're faced with a choice. They're faced with a choice. Change their mind, dump their philosophy and lose their power or stick to their philosophy, oppress you and silence you and spy on you and control you and keep their power. And when I say George Washington is one man in billions, he is one man in billions. The guy who turns his sword over the civilian pow- powers when he could have been king of a continent. That guy doesn't come along. That's why he's on the dollar bill, folks. That is why we think about George Washington in this elevated way that we do, because everybody else, when faced with the choice of giving up power, will keep the power. <laughs> Are you watching what's happening in Australia? I mean, we're getting kind of like little glimpses of this, but it's un believable. This is a f- what used to be a free country, right? It used to be a free country. There are 25 million people in Australia. You know how many have died of COVID? 1,000, 1,100. 1,100 people have died of COVID, okay? 1,100 people have died of the Chinese flu or the Wu flu or whatever you want to call it, the flu, flu Manchu. And 35% of Australians are are vaccinated, So basically, and they have locked down the country so badly that some places they have been in lockdown 200 days out of two years, 200 days out of two years. And the saddest part of the story, the saddest part of the story is that the, the people support the government. like 62% of the people agree with the government. So they didn't get them vaccinated. They've locked them down. They think they're going to get rid of COVID. And only now with this Delta variant are they admitting, oh, we're not going to get rid of COVID. There's no such thing as no COVID. So they have just totally screwed up. This is rank, stupid incompetence. Why? Because they thought they were going to control the world from the top down and they just can't do it. Nobody can stop a virus. You know, that's why they call them viruses. They go viral. That's why they call them that. Nobody can do it. So they screw up. Listen, here's the news from Australia. This is clip nine. Listen, they're now they're now putting like it's like it's the black death. They're now putting signs on people's doorway. Quarantine. Stay away from this person if they're sick. And, And listen to the way they report it. Like it's a good thing. Nine News can reveal COVID-19 quarantine signs must now be placed on the front doors of homes in South Australia where returned travellers are isolating for two weeks. Harvey Biggs has the exclusive details for us. Now Harvey, basically authorities hope that this will add another layer of protection. They do, Kate, and I can show you what these signs look like. They are a clear warning to anyone that those inside are completing their 14 days of isolation and it will help mitigate the risk to potential visitors like mail and food delivery providers. But it's also hoped to provide another layer of security because neighbors may alert authorities to anyone breaking the home isolation rules. <laughs> it's like, it's like you know, they hunt you down here. They've been shooting people with rubber bullets. If they protest, they've been beating children. They've been arresting people and throwing them in jail. If they go outside, the idea was they're an island. So they're going to shut this down. They're not going to they're going to have zero COVID. And only now if they admitted they're wrong, their incompetence has come. But will they leave off the power? No, they're talking, they're literally talking about, this is from the Breitbart side. I should mention, they're literally talking about building camps, building camps to quarantine people. This is a government with 62% approval and here's the premier of Queensland province. This is a commitment by the Wagner family working with the Queensland government to say to the people of Queensland, we wanna keep you safe. And the best way to keep you safe and to keep Delta out of Queensland is to build as quickly as possible a regional quarantine facility. I have listened to Queenslanders. I know how much they support a regional quarantine facility to be in Queensland. They want their community kept safe. That's what they're saying to me, and we are delivering it want to keep you safe, so they're going to put you into camps. And the people are going, yeah, that's a good idea. Good, good idea, mate. Good idea, mate. You <laughs> know, New South Wales, the province of New South Wales, the chief health officer is Dr. Carrie Ker- Chant, I guess her name is pronounced. This is going to be a cut 12. And she says, she says after they start to let people out, they said it's not going to be freedom. We're not going to have freedom. They actually said that. But we are going to have contact tracing, so they will be able to know wherever you go, so they can, anybody who gets sick, they're going to be able to find out who they got it from and trace you down. If you go into a pub, they're going to track you down. Take a look at this. We will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. And yes, it will be pubs and clubs and other things if we have a positive case there. Our response may be differently different if we know that people are fully vaccinated. So we're working through a number of those um, issues, but we will have to reflect and learn. <laughs> she says New World Order. It says, this is this going to be in the New World Order? And of course, people go nuts. The clip has already had over one million views. Again, this is reading from Dellingpole's uh, column over at Breitbart. He says the clip has already had over one million views, causing Twitter to issue a Snope style fact check correction headlined. Unfounded claims about the New World Order conspiracy theory are shared after an Australian governmental official used the expression during a press conference on Thursday. Twitter goes on to libsplain that there is nothing remotely dubious about this perfectly innocent phrase. Fact checkers have regularly debunked claims connected to the conspiracy theory. They say it, this thing where they have the, the great reset. They say, we want to have a great reset where we direct, we on the top direct where taxes go. And so, so they can be uh, to our shared goals. Our shared goals. That's not you and me. That's them. That's their shared goals. So the they, woman comes out and says, "Yes, yeah, we're building camps and we've uh, shut you in your home and we're having a new world order where we'll follow you all the time. And Twitter is saying, yeah, but it, but it's not the new world order. It's, it's just following you all the time and putting you in camps. It's not like there's some kind of... New- World order. And again, they don't have to conspire. They all want the same thing. Luckily, this will never happen here because they've told us they, they value our privacy so much. Grabian has put together a, uh, a montage of American officials assuring us, uh, this is going to be number two, American officials assuring us that they value our privacy so much that they will never have, for instance, a, a vaccine mandate. We cannot require someone to be vaccinated. That's just not what we can do needless to say the right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is not negotiable no definitely not you don't want to mandate and try and force anyone to take a vaccine we've never done that our interest is very simple from the federal government which is americans privacy and rights should be protected it is a matter of privacy to know who is or who isn't we don't want to be mandating from the federal government to the general population it would be unenforceable and not appropriate. Perhaps the federal government should step in and issue mandates, and if not, are you putting the needs of unvaccinated people ahead of the needs of vaccinated people? Well, I think the question here, one, that's not the role of the federal government. No, I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory. First, we must increase vaccinations among the unvaccinated with new vaccination requirements. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that last one, until that last one, they had me fooled. You know, <laughs> last one, I was going, "Whoo! good thing the new world order isn't coming to America, might. Good thing the new world order, we're not going to be in camps here, might. But suddenly that last one, that was the real stuff. That was the stuff they do rather than the stuff they say. And the people, see, the people on the right, the, the people on the left have have lost the the plot of liberty. They've lost the idea of liberty first. So they think, oh, give the government all this power and the government will take care of us. The government will be nice. They don't understand there is no such thing as a state. There's only CCP, corrupt clowns in power. That's all there is. But on the right, we're the same way because we think if it's a private entity, if it's a multinational corporation with more money than two thirds of the countries on earth and they destroy your privacy, that's all right. We don't want government regulations Getting in the way of that because that would be unfair. Remember, every human interchange is regulated. Every human interchange is regulated. You can make love to your wife, but if you kill her, they arrest you because every human interchange is regulated. The question is, are those regulations supporting human liberty or not? But because we've lost that value, we've lost the idea of putting that value first. We've got idiots on the right talking about, oh, capitalism, we've got to leave these companies free or private enterprise, we leave these companies free. Google, Google started out with the slogan, don't be evil. And they ditched it, right, because now they're evil. And they became evil when they started to lose investors because they weren't making any money off their search engine. So what, what did they do? They then developed a system of harvesting information from you, taking your privacy away, and selling that to advertisers. And Google always says, we never sell your information to advertisers. They don't have to. What they do is they deduce what you're going to do from the information they glean from your search, your searches. They take your searches. They understand who you are, where you are, what you're doing, what you're thinking about. And then they sell the predictions they make from that information to the advertisers. So they're effectively selling your information. And, you know, Here's a question. If our privacy is so important that you're allowed to kill your unborn child to protect your privacy, that was the Supreme Court's idea. You know, we have a right to privacy and therefore you can kill your unborn child. If it's so important we get to kill children, why isn't it important enough to keep Google from stealing our privacy? And, you know, they make things so convenient. It is convenient. Google does a great job at what they do. Amazon does a great job at what they do. Why do they get our information? Why do they get to keep our information? It makes no sense. And I'm getting this from a book by a Harvard professor named Shoshana Zuboff about the age of surveillance capitalism. I asked her to come on. She won't come on. I think she's a Marxist. I mean, she certainly quotes Marx a lot. But she understands that this is a problem because capitalists are doing it, right? So the thing about Marxism, you know how Marxism is always saying they've always got critical theory. The reason they've got critical theory is because Marxism doesn't work as a positive thing, as a way of running an economy. Marxism ruins everything. Socialism ruins everything because it puts all the power at the top, just like I said. But as a critical function, as a critical function, it sometimes sees the flaws in capitalism. It sees ways that capitalism can become oppressive. And so, you know, we can listen to Marxist criticism as long as we understand that what they're thinking is we're criticizing this because we want to install Marxism. We should be saying, no, no, you can criticize it because the power of capitalists can take away your liberty, too. Capitalism is the best economic system. But people get rich and they get powerful and they forget what made them rich and powerful. Why is Jeff Bezos rich? Why is Jack Boots Dorsey rich? Why is Mark Zuckerberg rich? Because individuals made choices to use their platforms. That's why. Individuals made choices. That's how capitalism works. Individuals made choices, and they got richer and richer because they were giving individuals what they want. And at some point, the light bulb goes off. You get so rich, you get so powerful, you get so separated and alienated from the common man who made you rich that you think, you know what would be a good idea? If I had the power to tell people what to say, if I had the power to tell them that the book shouldn't be on my platform because you're not allowed to read that idea, you're not allowed to have that thought. Right. So they start to think, oh, we can do this from the top down. Socialism, same thing. They've got it all figured out, but it's all about incompetence. I don't know if you saw this. This this actually made me choke up. I I was watching uh, the Olympic women, these Olympic uh, gymnasts testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee and telling them about, uh, you've probably heard about this guy, what was his name? Larry Nasser. Larry Nasser was the doctor for the governing body of gymnastics, USA Gymnastics. These girls come in, they're 13, 14, 15-year-old girls. I'm going to choke on I, I mean, it it, 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 It's mostly because it makes me so angry. Uh, they come in, and they've dedicated their childhoods. They've given their childhoods away for athletic excellence. And you've seen these gymnasts. They're amazing they, what they do. They've given it away. They come to the USA Gymnastics, the governing body of the sport, the guy who is like the massage therapist or the trainer or whatever he is, this guy, Dr. Larry Nasser, and he uses his authority to molest them, right? He, he He's a child molester. I mean, these are little girls, essentially, and he uses them his their authority to molest them. They finally go to the FBI and the FBI, in conjunction with the Olympic Committee and with USA Gymnastics, conspires to dump the case. So I'm not going to play some of the worst testimony because some of it was uh, really it'll make your head spin uh, the things that were done to these children. I mean, they're not children anymore. They're young women now, but like they were children then. You know, it'll it'll make you you're, you start to have those violent fantasies, especially men have those violent fantasies of just getting these guys alone for five minutes in a room. Right. Here's uh, Michaela Maroney, one of the top uh, gymnasts, explaining what happens. Cut seven. This was very clear cookie cutter pedophilia and abuse. And this is important because I told the FBI all of this and they chose to falsify my report and to not only minimize my abuse, but silence me yet again. I thought, given the severity of this situation, that they would act quickly for the sake of protecting other girls. But instead, it took them 14 months to report anything when Larry Nassar, in my opinion, should have been in jail that day. The FBI, USOC, and USAG sat idly by as dozens of girls and women continued to be molested by Larry Nassar. They fired none of these FBI agents. This is James Comey, FBI, Jeff Daniels. Remember Jeff Daniels? How honest we are. If once you, once you're not tell the truth, is the the truth is everything. These guys were dumping this case. One of the one of the agents, I think his name was Jeff Abbott, uh, was conspiring with USA Gymnastics to give him a job, so he was covering up for them. I, I assume that's what happens. They haven't fired anybody. They got their pensions. Some of them, some of them were let go. Some of them were pushed out of the FBI, but they're not. They're not in prison. They're not in prison. I don't know why they're not in prison. I, nobody seems to be in prison except the guy, the doctor, they got him. Uh, so he's gone for life. Uh, I think it's 60 years or something like that. But, but you know, it's, it's because they've lost the value of what they do. You know, the thing is that the left wants you to be woke. But really, if you just do what you do, With excellence, with dedication, with truth, with honesty, you make the world a better place. If you're a writer, you write as well as you can. If you're a gymnast, you gymnast as well as you can. If you're a a doctor, you treat people with respect and take care of them. If you're a senator, you pass laws. None of them are doing this. They're so busy posing. They're so busy telling us how woke they are. They're so busy telling us about their competence that they ruin everything. You know why? why people... We're so sad about Norm Macdonald dying. You know, people saying he was the funniest man in the world. You know, he was hilarious. He was absolutely one of the top comedians of the world. But there are other funny people in the world. He was an artist. He was an artist. And he put the values of his art first. He lost jobs. He lost fame. He lost money. He lost friends to create good humor, to create good jokes. That's a beautiful thing. He was fired from the biggest job he ever had. He never got a bigger job than this. He was fired from Saturday Night Live because he wouldn't stop telling the truth about O.J. Simpson. Here's a, a, one of the jokes he told about O.J. Simpson when Simpson brought out a book called I Want to Tell You. This cut 21. In his book, O.J. Simpson says that he would have taken a bullet or stood in front of a train for Nicole. Man, I'm going to tell you, that is some bad luck when the one guy who would have died for you kills you. That's what <laughs> I'm a, you don't know, get worse luck than that. <laughs> the, the head of the Western Division of NBC was playing golf with O.J., and he wouldn't stop. And he kept telling him, you've got to stop, and they fired him. For, th- for that. That that was the kind of thing that artists do. That's the kind of people who have values first, who put their values first. That's what they do. The people who put liberty first will lose their position to defend liberty. But the people who put power first or think that they're going to put goodness, goodness first, they're going to solve everything. They find out they can't and they just hang on to the power every single Time, You know, and the answer is, listen, we've got to start to learn. Capitalists of good about of goodwill have to st- start to understand that John Galt is just as big a jerk as Barack Obama once he gets the power. And we've got to understand the leftists have got to understand that. Yeah, there are things that government has to do, but you want to keep them from getting too much power. You know, it's like you've got to put the liberty first. They tell us, you know, they say, oh, climate change is an emergency. We have to you have to let us control the use of energy, you know, and then you get rolling blackouts in California. They say, covid, it's an emergency. you got to let us control where you can go and what you can wear and what medicine to take. And the children go uneducated. People lose their minds. Businesses fail. Racism. It's an emergency. So we have to control what you say and what you think and what you can talk about and your ideas. Racism just it just makes things worse. It makes things worse. And black people are being killed and they're doing worse off than they were before. Because why? Because they're the emergency. The powerful people are the emergency. Unbridled power is the emergency. Detachment from the common man is that is the emergency. They forget. It's liberty first. The point of the enterprise, the whole point of the enterprise is individual human liberty. We need regulations. We need government. But the good people of the left and right have got to understand that these powers have got to be balanced against each other. Government against business. Government against government. Business against business. You can't have a business get so big that there's no more competition. There has got to be competition. There's got to be breaks on government because there's only one George Washington. There is only one guy, there is only one guy who will give away a kingdom to preserve human liberty because he put liberty first. And and that's it. You, You only get one George Washington. Everybody else just has to imitate him. Everybody else has to be held to his standard. This is no longer, it really is no longer a question of left and right. It's a question of fear and freedom. It's a question of power and lack of power. And if the people do not have the power, they're trying to take away our power to vote. They're trying to take away our Supreme Court. They're trying to take away the electoral college, which uh, protects the powers of the state. So state powers can be at odds with one another. They want to centralize the power. That is the point of what they do. Left and right. It's the point of what they do. It is only those people, those rare, rare people who put liberty first, who can make people free. So one of the great things about moving east is that now there's actually an autumn. I can see the leaves change. And the way you want to spend a beautiful autumn day, nice crisp autumn day, is you want to get on your in your car that's not working because it's missing a part. You want to pretend to drive it down to the auto parts store. You want to talk to the imaginary man there uh, and not get a part because he's not there and you're not there and the car's not working. Or... You can go to rockauto.com. And you don't just say rockauto.com, my friends. You say rockauto.com because that's how confident you are that you can get great auto and body parts right out of your computer from hundreds of manufacturers at a great price. This is a it's a really easy catalog to use. You can see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands. And you get to say rockauto.com and how the women love it. Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Clavin in there. how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you and write it like you mean it. Write Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. You drive the girls crazy. So we were talking about liberty and putting liberty first. And the reason people have stopped putting liberty first is because they've lost the underlying values that created the idea that one puts liberty first, which come from Christianity. So I want to return to what I was talking about last week. Remember last week I was answering, talking about the reason Jesus Says, Judge Not, Lest You Be Judged. And I want to continue that segment just to remind you, this is like the sequel, Judge Not 2. This time, it's personal. Uh, the The basic point I was making is that not judging, forgiving, loving your enemies, they're all methods of helping us uh, see the world as God sees it. As Jesus says, th- this will help you be children of your Father in heaven he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the un- unrighteous. And elsewhere, he says, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So he wants you to be like God is so that you will see the world as God sees the world. So when we lay aside judgment, vengeance, hatred, uh, you know, that's, that's what ha- begins to happen. And this, I, I'm just reiterating what I said last week, this leads to the kingdom of heaven within us, which is this small thing inside us that grows into a big thing. It's like the yeast and bread, or it's like a a tiny mustard seed that becomes a gigantic uh, tree. So part two of this uh, conversation uh, is to ask, what does the world look like when you see it this way? Why does that help? You see the world as God sees it. And I want to just reiterate, I said this last week, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. I am just a a detective story writer. I'm just a barefoot teller of tales. But I do believe in the Gospels and the Gospels have given me this incredible joy of life and serenity of life. I mean, it was was weeks after a couple of weeks after I was baptized that my wife just turned to me and said, you've really (laughs) totally changed. You've become much more serene, much more happy. And so I'm just sharing what I have seen and what's happened to me and the the path that I've traveled. Uh, And you can make up your own mind whether you want to follow that path or part of that path or whatever. So to talk about what the world looks like, uh, I want to talk talk about two verses uh, from the Gospels. One is the famous one from the Gospel of John, very near the top of the Gospel of John. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the word in this is a translation from the Greek for the word logos, which is one of these kind of complicated er words that has so many meanings uh, that any translation of it is going to be questionable. Any translation I give it, people are going to protest and say, that's not what it means. But it's my show, so I'm going to give you my translation. Uh, For me, the the Logos means the mind of God, who God is, right? How God sees the world. The verses in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. This is the Logos he's talking about. The Logos is the Word. And so you, you know what that means. Like you have a way of seeing things. If you have a friend, You know what he's like. You know he may be a mathematician. He sees everything from mathematical, in mathematical, logical terms. Or she may be like a very um, emotional, passionate, caring person. And you always know what she's going to do if she sees somebody in trouble. Uh, If if uh, an artist has a nature, that nature comes out in his work. So Picasso paints things one way, Michelangelo paints things the right way. Uh, but they they have a different way of expressing it because that's the mind of themselves. So if you're God, that's the logos. That's the the mind that creates everything, that puts everything into the world. So now we know from this verse an interesting thing, that the logos, the mind of God, the self of God, uh, can be represented in human form, can be made into flesh. And that's a big idea. That means that a human being can represent the mind of God. And it means that other human beings, all the other human beings can represent a part of that mind. They can be the mini logos. They can be part of the logos. And, and that means that, uh, and I'll get back to that. I may have to do another, one more segment on this, but that, that means that word is a good translation for logos because it's like the flesh becomes a language to speak the mind of God. Matter becomes a language that speaks the mind of God. And just like, um, Language it sort of brings to mind it 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 instantiates it makes manifest it makes clear before you what the mind of God is because you can't see the mind of God but you can experience it in the flesh and matter so this brings me to my second verse right remember what we're saying here is that God can be made flesh and that therefore people who are made in the image of God men and women are made in the image of God they are a mini logos they are a little can be a little bit of God. So the second verse is one of the parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I have to tell you this funny story. I've got this book coming out next year called The Truth and Beauty. Brilliant title. Uh, it's called The Truth and Beauty, and it's about some of these issues seen through uh, the eye of some of the great poets of the English language. Um, but it's about this, this kind of gospel, this kind of reading of the gospel. And in this book, I said... We don't hear what a weird, weird parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan is. We don't hear it. And I've never been able to convince anybody why it's weird, because they're so used to hearing it. They don't think it's weird. They think it's just a normal parable. Uh, and, and it's not. And my editor said, I don't see why it's weird either. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And he said, I just don't see it. And finally, I said to him, look, it's possible that everyone else on earth is right and I'm wrong but i don't think so <laughs> so just just to uh, just to defend myself the other night uh i had a cigar with my son spencer claven no relation uh and he said that dietrich bonhoeffer the famous german he's like a lutheran saint basically he agreed with me he writes about this uh, i did not know that but uh but so so here it is a lawyer comes up to jesus and he says what shall i do to inherit eternal life how should i find this kingdom of heaven you're always talking about and Jesus says, well, what do you think? And the lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. In other words, these are the two commandments that Jesus says are the basic commandments. This is what everything else is meant to get you to. This is the whole point of all the books of the Bible is to get you to the point where you love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, these two commandments are related. And of course, the reason they're related is for the reason I said that just as the God can be manifest in human form in Jesus, he can be a part of God, a part of the logos can be manifest in other people. So he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the lawyer being a lawyer says to him, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the famous story of the Good Samaritan. A guy gets mugged uh, going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's lying by the side of the road. A priest goes by and leaves him there, you know, bleeding. Doesn't do a thing for him. A Levite who's from a, the family of the righteous, uh, of the holy in Israel. Uh, goes by, doesn't do anything. A Samaritan, who was a guy that the, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans for all kinds of reasons that don't matter, but the Samaritans, so they had bigotry against the Samaritans, but the Samaritan goes by and takes care of the, the guy who was mugged, takes him to an inn, gives him, you know, helps him with bandages, gives him food, gives the innkeeper money, says, take care of this guy. When I come back, I'll give you more money to finish taking care of him. Jesus tells this whole story and says to the lawyer, who was this man's neighbor? Who was the mugged guy's neighbor? And of course, the lawyer says, the Samaritan, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Do like the Samaritan. So let me see if I can explain why that's weird. You say to somebody, somebody says, you love your neighbor? And you say, who is my neighbor? And he says, here's the story. The Samaritan is your neighbor. The moral of that story is love the Samaritan, Right. Who is, love your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? The Samaritan is your neighbor. Love the Samaritan. That should be the moral of the story. The moral of the story would be, in that case, love your neighbor even if he's a nasty Samaritan. You know, even if he's a different race from you, a race you don't happen to like, love him if he treats you like your neighbor. But Jesus doesn't say that. The lawyer, he says, love your neighbor. The lawyer says, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, the Samaritan, therefore be the Samaritan. It doesn't make any sense, right? The next line, you know, <laughs> he's basically saying, be the neighbor. Be the neighbor that you would love, okay? Now, the other day in this new church I found that I'm just loving, I'm really loving this church. The priest solved this riddle for for me. He said, the lawyer wants to make the neighbor the object, but Jesus forces him to see the, the neighbor as the subject. In other words, love your neighbor be the neighbor. It's not going to change the guy. The mugged guy may be a jerk. He may not be any nicer for being helped. He may be a terrible person. Jesus doesn't care. He wants you to love him. Why? Why does he want you to love him? Why does that change anything? Why? You know, it it kind of collapses the subject and object because in the sentence, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, the subject is you, right? You love your neighbor as yourself and the object is the neighbor, but the neighbor you love as yourself. So they both become one thing. When you love a person, you see them as God sees them. You see them as they really are. You see them as a piece of this amazing logos. You know, recently, I'm sure everybody's had some experience where you've lost somebody. And recently, uh, I have had to go say goodbye to a, a good friend who has gotten a bad diagnosis. And it's in- inexpressibly sad. It is inexpressibly sad to say farewell forever to someone you love. You know, It's just, it's just a terrible uh, sadness. But it's a beautiful sadness. You can feel it if you think about it. It is a beautiful sadness because it means you saw him as he was. You saw him in the fullness of your, of his humanity. And when that doesn't happen to somebody, when that when so, when you don't see somebody, his humanity is kind of trapped inside him. You remember the last scene of A Christmas Carol, or not the last scene, but one of the last scenes of A Christmas Carol. Where Scrooge, who's been this mean old man all his life, is shown his grave. And that's what changes him. That's what changes him. Here's just a, a glimpse of that from the Alistair Sim version. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Tell me I'm not already dead. Tell me I'm not already dead. Tell me I'm not already dead. And I used to think, well, why why does that change him? He knows he's going to die. He's been told he's going to be punished for dying all this guy, if he dies as a miser, but all that he's seen now is that he dies without anybody caring about him. He dies without anybody giving a damn that he's dead. And so nobody has seen him as he is. His humanity is trapped inside him. When you see somebody as he is, you confer humanity on him. You know, one last personal story. When I wrote uh, one of my first thrillers, Don't Say a Word, I had this great idea, which was to set a big scene on Hart Island, which is New York's Potter's Field—it's where they bury the dead who nobody has claimed—and they don't let you onto Potter's Field. So I asked a friend of mine who was a reporter at the time. Now he's a big news industry muckamuck, but at the time he was just a street reporter. And I said, "Would you please do a story about Potter's Field, Heart Island, and take me along, pretending to be your producer?" And he agreed. He was a great guy, still a great guy. And he invited me on, and we went out on this ship with all these coffins. And the coffins were made, of course, of cheap pine, and they had knot holes in them, and they had gaps between the boards. And you could look through, and you could see the bodies of these people wrapped in plastic. You could see the bodies of these people whom no one had claimed, who no one had cared about, who no one knew they were human. Nobody knew, nobody loved them. Nobody said, oh yes, this is a part of the Logos. This is a part of God. So no one saw them as they really are. No one saw them as they really are. So think about that for a minute. Think about those, I mean, it was just planes of bodies, just an island uh, with literal, you know, um, ditches filled with these boxes of people no one knew were there. So think about those people for a minute. Just think about them. And then look around you at the people around you. If you're at work, look around you at the people at work. If you're in your car, look at the people driving past you in other cars. If you're at the gym, look at the people at the gym. If you're sitting alone, look at the pictures on your phone or on your mantelpiece of your, of your family and see the difference, see the difference in what you see, and you begin to understand what Jesus is telling you to see when you put your judgments away, when you put your uh, vengeance away, when you put your envy away, when you put all those things away, and see the reality of what other people are. And think of the difference in you that makes. See, this is the thing. People are always saying, saying Jesus cares about the poor. Jesus cares about this. Jesus, cares. He cares about you you that's it that's it he cares about you and he wants you to see these things you know when when people uh, stand before the throne of god jesus says this he he says to them you know you you will have eternal life because you took care of me you took care of me and the people say i i don't remember ever meeting you i don't remember taking care of you and he says well when you fed the poor you were taking care of me when you gave a man who needed help help you were taking care of me the people who get into heaven, don't even know that they were serving God. They don't even know they were serving God. All they knew is that they saw people as they are. And when you see people as they are, you see the logos in them and it changes everything. That's what Jesus is trying to do. He's not trying to make the world a better place. He says, the poor you will always have with you. He's not trying to make the poor go away. He's not trying to make the world fair. He tells you the world is going to suck. He tells it, it to people again and again. He's trying to get you to live into the logos by seeing the logos in other people that is in yourself. That is what he's trying to do. What I'm gonna do, I just want to do one more segment on this uh, next week on, on how you practice that, how you get how do you get to that place? Because it obviously is not something that's that's really easy to do. And we'll talk about that next week. I got to stop there, which means speaking of destruction, uh, it is now upon you. It has now come down on you like a black wave, a wave of emptiness, uh, which we call the Clavenless week will now sweep you out into a sea of emptiness uh, and the chance of your ever getting back to shore, minimal. But if you do, I will be here next Friday and we will talk again. This is The Andrew Claven Show and I'm Andrew Claven.